Welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of your life, spiritual, personal, and professional. We seek to do this through the Catholic Women's Masterclass, The Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, and our online courses and other resources. You can find out more about any of these initiatives at our website, www.geniusproject.com. Co. or come and follow us on Instagram genius underscore project underscore daily and you can also watch the live recordings of these podcasts on our genius project YouTube channel on this week's episode of the genius podcast I'm talking to a very beautiful person who I met many years ago I think back in 2006 possibly the very beautiful Corinne Lindsall now Corinne is going to share a little bit about her story how she was able to navigate trauma and loss and sometimes it's really hard to know how to get through these experiences and the book she's written learn to fly is really this companion it's a book that gives permission to people to feel their grief and then to give them some goalposts and navigate complex grief and trauma so i hope and pray that this episode is a blessing to you well corinne welcome to the genius podcast it's lovely to have you joining us today you're based in sydney so we're not too far away from each other but great to have you Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Really nice to be here. Yes. Well, you and I go back quite a long way. I am trying, I was actually trying to think when we first connected, and I think you might have been a youth minister or something in a parish. Is that when we first connected? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was in the lead up to Sydney World Youth Day. Okay, so that's 2007, 2008. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so it was, yeah, it was, um, I think you came and done it, like did a talk around Oh, I, I can't even remember. It was around relationships. Was, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Theology, the body stuff. Yes, yeah, mm. that's right. So, and then we've sort of woven in and out of it each was other's lives. Before your children, I even think. It was, yeah. yes. Yeah, so we yeah. had Olivia in August of 2007. So it must have been, okay. it was prior to that because I wasn't pregnant. So yeah. it could have even been 06. Yeah. A bit of history there. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so nice to see your face and, and you're such a beautiful person and my life's been blessed um, just by the conversations, interactions we've had over the years and I know everyone who meets you comes away feeling that from your presence. Oh, but before you. we dive into today, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm, I grew up in the Sutherland Shire in Sydney and um, a very devoted Cronulla Sharks fan, I must say. Um, <laughs> I now live in Penrith, which is like, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming, <laughs> that I'd leave the Shire. <laughs> but yeah, no, Sydney. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I went through school, I went through up to year 12, I did a degree in social work. And um, and then later on, I've done a master's in uh, social change and community development. Yeah. But my whole working life has been around what I dub the helping profession. And um, so I started working in disability support work when I was in year 12. And yeah. um, that kind of led me to a to a very interesting path and took me overseas I did a um a stint at a summer camp for special needs kids and the New Jersey foster kids over in the states and it was the hardest work that I think I've ever done why was that because I think what I saw in that I think it was the foster kiss the foster system over in New Jersey at that time was incredibly broken 
mm. and um, very unfair. And um, we had kids who they were siblings and they wouldn't see each other throughout the year because they're fostered elsewhere. And then they'd have various difficult relationships with their siblings at camp because they mm. knew that if they got close, they have to separate again. So it was just constant mm. heartbreak and constantly seeing, you know, this pain. But it were the, it was these young people that really stayed with me, even though I was there with the skill set that I had for the special needs and the disabilities. Um, it was the foster kids that stayed with my heart. And I knew coming from that, <clears throat> I needed to get into youth work. Okay. And so that, um, yeah, so I, I did some studies, some um, just some basic studies around youth, youth work and what have you. And I ended up becoming a youth minister for 10 years um, yes. in my local parish and um, really looked at that a little bit holistically as well. And it was at the time that youth ministry wasn't even a thing in yeah. parishes in, in Australia. Yeah. And so there were probably three of us in Sydney and, you know, we connected quite quite well and we knew each other very well and we supported each other because we were developing this ministry model really. And, um, yeah, so I, was, I did that for a decade and then um, worked in various areas in social work um, as well. And probably one of the most insightful jobs that I had done, which molded my, uh, I guess, the church work and the social work stuff was a role that I had with the National Council of Churches in Australia around their safe church program. And that was auditing, um, safeguarding training in different Christian denominations. And it was in the time of the Royal Commission into institutionalized um, abuse. And it was incredibly eye-opening, but what I saw was um, sheer determination to be doing the right thing and to be, you know, going forward and moving forward um, in some progressive and reforming ways. So that was that was really eye-opening. But yeah, and I landed a role um, almost 10 years ago now in Vinnie's, where I am still today, and I've oh, had various go. different roles within Vinnie's but yeah I'm, I'm still it's it's definitely been my um, employment yes. of choice <laughs> for the last <laughs> 10 years um, so yeah so I've gone from casework to um, to management mm -hmm. and now I'm in what I like to call organizational leadership and where my role is the mission and pastoral care partner for the St. Vincent de Paul Society and this is about kind of bringing the purpose of the organisation through the organisation. So embedding that with staff and volunteers and yes, um, yeah, it's it's taken me into various different avenues yes. and um, such a yeah. journey. Yeah, and it's interesting looking all the way back to your experience in New Jersey. Those seeds of just what you were going to do with your life have been consistent, even though what you've done has looked a little bit different. Yeah, and that's true. And that's what attracted me to social work, to be honest, mm. because it was such a broad um, qualification that you could go in so many different ways. Right. You know, you could go down the health road, you could go down the government road, the not-for-profit, yes. homelessness, counselling, all sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. that variety. I was a bit the same with nursing. It was general, but yeah. you could sort of choose different areas. That's it, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, and interestingly, recently, and this is sort of why I invited you on the podcast, is you published your first book. Yes. Um, and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that because you have this background in social work, but you also have your lived personal experience, which I guess has brought you 
to a place of writing this book to be a gift to others. Um, you went through a great tragedy, you and your family, mm. some years ago now. And yeah. and that journey, I, I guess I connected with you, I think a couple, maybe a year after that happened. And we've had a few conversations. So when I saw that you published your book, I was I was just feel so proud of you. <laughs> I just oh, want to say you. huge congratulations because it is such a gift. And we haven't even talked about what it's about yet. No. <laughs> but I will let you share mm. your story. Um, the book is Learn to Fly and it's just looking at complex grief and helping adults navigate that journey but would you share a little bit about I guess your own journey and what led you to writing that book yeah absolutely um and I think thank you for for your words about the book as well because it really is something that I'm incredibly proud of too um it's the most significant thing that I've done in in my life to date and I think it is the most significant thing that I've done because of the sentiment behind it, yeah. and um, and also what what I've been what I've been able to see happen with it so far. And so I launched Learn to Fly this year, and um, it was actually it took me probably a couple of months to write it, which yeah. is bizarre in the writing world. But um, it took over two years for it to come together. <laughs> so. Okay. I had the book written and um, and then the whole process afterwards, it's a self-published book. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the illustration journey and then the um, kind of book design and getting it all together, it took quite a long time, which was a bit unexpected on my end, but um, I learned a lot. So the book itself, um, thank you. As you said, it's called Learn to Fly and it is a book um, designed to, I guess, do two things, um, to allow people who are grieving to have, I guess, an avenue for their grief. It's a real permission-giving book around um you know your grief is your grief but it's also a book that's almost like an education tool for people <clears throat> who might not know the right things to say or how to be and things like that which I think we find ourselves um in that position all the time and I know I definitely was probably that person before I had my own personal experience yes. with grief you know you just you mean well and you don't know you know what you don't know so this is one of those books that really does try and and help both both players in the in the grief journey. So I guess what led me to write the book, <clears throat> as you mentioned, that our family had suffered some incredibly traumatic loss with um, the loss of my brother. So my brother was thirty nine years old. My brother was thirty nine years old, and he um, was in a relationship with his partner it was on again and off again and um yeah he was murdered by her and um that just kind of spiraled into the most traumatic experience that we have ever gone through as a family and as individuals and um he his house was set on fire and his house was actually um, on the same property as my parents' place, so they saw it all unfold. And so their their grief is, yeah, their trauma, I should say, is really horrendous. And um, you know, we ended up going through a, a homicide investigation, and that was that was tumultuous, and that was you know just horrific in itself. And that process itself, and the 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 legal system, you know, we Jeffrey died in 2017 in October 
And our murder trial wasn't until February 2022. Wow. Sorry, 2020. 2020. And so that just goes to show that length of time that it takes. And it took them eight months to arrest her. And that was really, really difficult for us because uh, we obviously didn't know what she was capable of. And so we were incredibly scared for our own lives and, um, you know, what, what might have happened next. But we, um, yeah, we, in the end, she, she spent four months in prison and then she was released on bail. And then that, again, kind of shook us quite a lot. And it took us right up to January of 2020 when we were preparing ourselves to go to trial. We had a lot of um, prepping by, um, you know, just just the legal people around us. And obviously this, we weren't represented at all. It's, it, it's definitely not us um in the court system but uh all of us were giving statements in the in the in the court case and there were so many different elements to the legal journey and um various different appearances in court and we attended every single court mention and um so did a number of his friends and it was really, it's one of those things that you're literally mentioned in court. It's its called a mention and you're mentioned. The case is mentioned and the, the whoever's, whoever's kind of dealing with it just escalates it to the next level. It just has to go through this system. Yes. So from local court all the way to Supreme Court. And so we went there and all these mates were there each time. And it was just such a witness of who Jeffrey was to everyone yeah. and and just that great power. But um, yeah, came to January 2020 and we're all breathing down the neck of COVID. None of us knew because it yes. was our lockdown was kind happen. of our lockdown happened in March. So mm-hmm. our our um trial was scheduled for February 2020. Mm-hmm. And um what happened was we had um a knock on the door by our detectives and they came to us and said, look, there's not going to be a trial. And we didn't know why. And um, at first thought, we were thinking maybe she's pleaded guilty, um, you know, and it's going to it's going to be settled out of court or something like that. And he said, no, actually, um, she was found dead last night. So she took her own life just well, before that part we of were. Story. Yeah. So just before we were meant to um, go to go to trial and. What that did for us was added more trauma to our story and to to Jeff's story. It it meant we couldn't have our day in court. It meant justice for Jeff was just so far away once again. And um, how do you unpack, how do you unpack that again? Like, how do you, how do you make sense of all of this? And the biggest take home for me from that is she once again took control of the outcome and we just felt so incredibly lost and it was just one of these things of like well well now what we've we've got all this energy to build up for justice for for my brother and where does that go what 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 what's going to happen with that so it has been incredibly complex incredibly layered incredibly traumatic and um I I personally have separated two things in my brain and I don't know how it happened but I 
have lost my brother. Yes. That's one thing. And our family has gone through a homicide and I haven't combined the two and I'm sure I will one day, but I just think that's too painful. So somehow my brain has split them. And so I can talk to both very differently. I can talk about the loss of my brother and the grief of, of losing my brother. And I can also talk about the events that happened that night and and everything that happened after that as well so yeah it's um it's it's um it's a it's definitely been a very hard journey and it's something that um I guess I have you don't know how you're gonna deal with it it's the worst possible thing to go through and it's um it's one of the most heinous things to have happened and people around you also don't know how to deal with it either and and don't know how to be so that's that's pretty much how the book came to be because it it really was a matter of um in the midst of the pain that I was in there were a lot of people who wanted to help and wanted to say the right things and sometimes they just said the wrong things or really dumb things and you're just like oh and it hurts and you just I had this mantra of they mean well they mean well they mean well because you have to protect yourself and you you're you're going everything's different everything's slower everything's um everything's changed and for me for me I I definitely felt a fundamental shift in me because everything that I identified as being a social worker, being a Christian, being a sister, being a daughter, all of that had to be redefined for me. I had to really, really assess if I still wanted to be in social work and this sort of work, considering the complexities of now that I'm dealing with my own trauma and how that came to be. And knowing everything I know about domestic violence and the the narrative around domestic violence being around violence against women, but what about male victims and female perpetrators yes. and just all of that? So it was a very, very yeah. confusing time. And whilst my I've got two brothers, so Jeffrey is is the one who passed away and Nathan, my other brother. So I'm still a sister, but it it just had to shift. And that relationship and those relationships had to shift. And just being a daughter, like I had to almost care for my parents. Become a carer. Yeah. Yeah. And being the youngest and um, kind of having that responsibility, you know, of, and it wasn't wasn't put on me, but it just, it it evolved to be that. That's right. Yes. And so, yeah, so everything and just just concepts of um you know of my faith just was shattered shattered in an instance in an instant and you just go like wow this is one event that has changed my whole life um and this is going to be a long journey a long long journey yeah yeah absolutely well Corinne firstly I just want I mean I have said this to you but so sorry for your loss and what you've had to go through because I've known you before and and I touch base with you during and and now again and Mm. it's it's not it never goes away does it it's constantly there and as you said it totally shifts the trajectory of your own life and the roles that you play in identity and 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 we can have a loss like we can have a person in our life whether it's a grandparent or someone passed away but 
like what you're saying here is there's just this layer upon layer upon layer of grief and this compounding impact of grief um but not only grief but the trauma as well in so yeah. many different areas and i think it's it's even traumatic just not just but the whole shifting in roles within family that's a trauma in itself so yeah. there's all there's a the big and the obvious trauma of the way in which your brother passed away but there's all those other ones and and i guess in terms of writing this book you're really trying to help people navigate that journey and just hats off to you because you know I've worked with lots of people over the years and it doesn't mean that you've got it all worked out or that you're over it because I don't believe anyone ever gets over something like this but the way in which you've been able to offer that and I guess channel that grief to be a gift for others so that grief and that suffering is not wasted I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying It's, it's, it's a bizarre kind of thing isn't it and it's hard to put words on but I know that many people will be blessed through your writing and I'm interested in just that concept of complex grief because whether it's not necessarily a death it could be a divorce Mm -hmm. could be financial loss lots of people face complex griefs and I think they don't actually put language to it that that's actually what's happening and that makes the experience all the more overwhelming I've heard people say, oh, well, it's not like I've lost anybody or it's not like, uh, you know, this has happened or I've been to war and now mm-hmm. I have PTSD. We, we don't really validate, and I think you mentioned the word permission-giving book, mm-hmm. that we need to give people permission to actually, their experience is their experience. Yeah. And that those feelings and that experience needs to be validated and then navigated. Can you speak into, I guess, that idea of trauma, coming from lots of different things and the compounding impact of that yeah and I think what it I think you're right it is compounding and what makes it complex I think is the ties to our identity and that's where um you know where you can really become all tangled up or um you know you become a bit undone and things like that but I guess it's where you are not where it's unseen you know where it it might be um where somebody has had and and we'll take we'll take death for for an example where somebody has had an illness and you've had that ability to prepare for something and you know and it's almost a release and um going okay this is this is a natural you know end to that and as difficult as grief is in in those circumstances when the loss is sudden or traumatic um, it adds those complexities to it and so this is where we look at whether where there could be loss from property around natural disasters and things like that where and the other element to I guess trauma or um, kind of something, like an event is often it's very public the event yes so we had a lot of media around us like for a long time and um coming out of the woodworks and and things like that just to get the story and um I remember one time my parents were doing a press conference a a media conference with the police um in Parramatta so that's like an hour away from where they live and by the time they got back there were um news channels in their backyard wow so not even out the front of their place but actually on their property 
in their backyard. And it's what very was invasive, isn't it? Yeah, and what was really difficult about that time is um, for three months, my parents' place was a crime scene and they weren't even able to live in their own home. And we, I, I stayed with them. We, we lived in a, a hotel for three months. And just to kind of have that then invasive space in, in there. So it's like it's just the unfairness and the, um, you know, everyone kind of wants a piece of the story and things like that and yet you've lost your person and had it. And, and so, yeah, so anyway, going back to sometimes, you know, with natural disasters, it's a very public thing or there's a collective trauma well, a community there. experience, isn't there? Yeah, yes. but then it's an individual loss as well. And so, you know, if people are feeling it more than someone else, they might feel like they're not allowed to feel what they're feeling because someone else has got it together better and things like that. So, you know, and and you just hear about it when it's, say, um, you know, road trauma as well. And, um, you know, I, I'm just very reflective at the moment of the bus crash that happened in the Hunter Valley recently and how public that was, but that they're going to be 10 families of private loss there and um you know and then you have really high profile cases where um people are very vocal about you know all that they're they're full of forgiveness for the person who took took their person and then it then you get if you're not there then you get that guilt of going oh well I'm I'm not a I'm not I'm not as good of a human being if I can't forgive the person who um, took my brother basically so you know it just it it really messes with your mind and it really does um, you know where where there's that element of an event and then um, people are really interested um, in all of that but I think um, what people really want and this is what I've noticed is that they want the good news story and they want the bounce back to happen yes. and for somebody who is grieving that's almost a burden that's placed on them and um and I think what needs to happen more in our society is we need to allow people to take as long as they need to to be in their grief and grief um I mean we've got grief theories we've got the Kubler-Ross theory of the stages of grieving and interestingly that was never really um, a process for people who have lost someone it okay. was designed originally for people who were dealing with their own illness and their own imminent death yes and it's become whatever it's become yeah. yeah and and we've kind of allowed that to be the socially acceptable way to deal with with grief and kind of put parameters around well you should be here or you know all this sort of stuff and and that's where you know we get words like closure and um yes. you know time heals all wounds and things like that which is so unhelpful yes. <laughs> so unhelpful so yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I worked for many years at um, you know main hospital in Sydney doing oncology palliative care. So right. I did a lot of that palliative care grief counselling with families yeah. there, and and Kubler Ross was a big model. But I would agree with you that doesn't necessarily translate into mm -hmm. other areas. So that's right. Yeah. And it's not to say that 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 doesn't exist and and it has no it has no mm. value. It definitely does. But 
There's some really incredible grief theories out there and there's some really, um, I'm going to go back to the word, but permission giving theories um, that allow people to to stay connected with their loved ones. And there's a really beautiful one that I think um, as Catholics, we can probably intrinsically understand, which is continued bonds and just continuing that that relationship can exist and it's it's a new relationship and that that was new to me um my relationship with my brother Jeffrey has changed in his death than what it was when he was alive like it's very it's a very very different relationship Mm -hmm. and um you know I I don't think I would I know that I wouldn't have photos of my brother in my home you know for, for for that sense but you know or talk to him every day and things like that but yeah so continued bonds is something that um you know we, I think we we deeply understand because we we have that um, modeled to us in our yes. faith and yeah. um we, we look at that I mean we just look at say even Jesus and the the gift of him giving us the Holy Spirit and things like that in a sense is that continued bond Mm -hmm. and um, also even just our relationships with the saints and things like that, that we can have, we we know that there is this continuation of life and life-giving life beyond this world and, um, yeah. No, that's beautiful, Corinne. I'd love to, I just hear from you, perhaps what did you learn in this journey that, I mean, obviously that's packaged in your book, but what would be some of the key things as someone who's walked through grief, um, I guess, that you needed? And, and I ask this question because people listening will either be going through grief or they'll be supporting someone going through grief. So there's two different sort of questions there. There's what did yeah. you need as a grieving person? And then I guess we can look at what can people do as support people? Because mm-hmm. I think you're right that so often people don't know what to say. And I find people tend not to say anything mm-hmm. and and I think I don't my experience has been working with people just through my nursing is it's much better to say something and perhaps get it wrong than to not say anything at all or yeah. acknowledge the, the loss yeah. um, but then there's also if we are going to say something and support people like what is helpful and what is not and so let's begin with firstly what did you learn what did you need as a person going through grief and I ask this because There'll be women listening to this who are navigating their own loss. It might be through marital loss, financial mm-hmm. loss, um, mental health. It might be through death. What do what do we need to do to to get ourselves through those seasons of grief? Yeah, thank you for bringing this up because I think um, what happens is uh, thank you for saying you know it's it's sometimes better to say something and get it wrong rather than not say anything because. It can be very isolating and um, even even when people say, you know, oh, we just need some space or things like that, don't take that as, um, you know, as a way to give distance. Always, always, always connect with them um, because I think, and I can only talk from my own experience, and, and I've got to say writing the book was my process. It was a hundred percent my process. There's there's characters in the book that reflect things that that happened to me. Um, it's it, there's there's nothing kind of made up in the imagination in that sense. It's all it's all things that happened and that were said, and um, 
but yeah, I think the for me the biggest um, I guess disappointment that I had around support was this feeling of being abandoned by those that um, I was really hoping would stand by me and um, you know I, I did it took me a really long time to work it out but I did figure it out later that you know it was just a really hard thing for everyone to navigate and um, people just didn't know what to do and what to say. So my advice, I guess, well, I guess what I needed was for a sense of love, just a real sense of you are loved, we've got you, we're here if you need us, you know, reach out, but we'll keep talking to you, like that sort of thing. Um, I absolutely needed to feel like I was doing the right thing by staying connected, you know, to Jeff. And one of the the things that we did as a family was um, we named a star um, after Jeff or we picked a star and mum picked a star and um, it was one particular night and we had this stargazing app so you could find out what the actual star was okay. called. Yes. And so mum picked this the brightest star that she could see on the night and the star app told us that it was the star at the location of M15, which was super significant because Jeffrey's birthday was is May 15th. Oh, and wow. so we were like, yeah. oh, okay, that's totally Jeffrey. Yes. And so um, and so that that particular star was part of the constellation. It's the, it's the nose of the horse of the constellation Pegasus. Okay. And so a Pegasus has become something really significant to our family. And, um, you know, just the symbolism of it and there's, um, spoiler alert, there's a Pegasus on my book. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so there's a Pegasus in my book. That's why, yeah, there's symbolism. <laughs> That's Beautiful. right. And so every, everything in there is very symbolic. Um, but also just, as I said before, I had this mantra of they mean well, they mean well, they mean well. So I think just having this deep understanding that, people really do mean well they, they're not set out if they're if they're coming to you at your time of of loss they're, they're coming to you because they do care and they don't really want to muck it up <laughs> so yeah. even if they say the wrong thing and it stings um it's that they really do mean well so it's kind of just taking it uh, with the intention that it that it's given as opposed right. to what they actually say um and I think what I what I said before about that burden of the good news story or the bounce back and just, you know, don't rush having to have it all together and be capable and all of that sort of stuff. One of the things that was told to me many times and still to this to this day is you are so strong. And it's like I never knew strength felt so weak because I'm this is not this is not what I think strength is so um it's it's recognizing what they're seeing in you is this resilience or this tenacity or something to kind of keep going I I wholeheartedly believe that for me it was grace <laughs> I don't know how yeah. I got through some days don't know yeah. some days I was definitely carried some days you know people helped me walk through it um, others I just don't know and so I actually do mention that in the book and talk about this concept of transcendence mm -hmm. and that's what I mean is this this concept of we're being carried we don't know how we're getting through but we are 
so to to take that pressure off us to have to bounce back and Absolutely. and what have you yeah um but advice to people um helping people go through like going through grief is as I said just show up mm. um you know that's that's probably and everyone's going to be different like some people really like the pragmatic stuff and you know having having dinner cooked and things like that and bringing a meal over um but some people just want a sense of normal like I like I want to be invited to to that party I want to be able to laugh and not feel guilty and you know so so I don't need to wallow all the time and things like that so just always invite always show up always do that sort of thing um I think people are really afraid to mention the loved one's name around people yeah and um sometimes that's all they desperately want to talk about is is that person and not mentioning their name is not taking away the fact that that person's gone and sometimes just hearing someone say Jeff you know just goes oh he meant something to uh, someone other than me and and thank you and you know I, I saw saw recently a friend of mine friends of mine who lost their their dad recently um a friend of theirs sent them a photo of their dad that they had never seen before and so they're like oh they've got a new image of their dad that they never had and for that one person it was just them sharing a photo but to to these the sisters here they were like oh my gosh this is my dad and you thought about my dad and you thought about me and you know it just made such a difference yeah it meant so much so and like I, I think we hear this one all the time and this is not a new um, kind of mind-blowing thing to mention but you know that first year is not necessarily the only hard year mm. <laughs> and um, I actually you know, find that it's the second year that is the harder year we always found that people who went through cancer and they went into remission even though that first year was a year of treatment it was actually the year that they went into remission that was much harder wow and and I found that sort of walking with people it's that second year of grief after that first anniversary because it becomes also permanent yep and I think that's what's really challenging as well that that first year is made up of funeral and and if you've got Mm -hmm. other complexities dealing with that for you it was a court case and just those layers but then once it becomes permanent I think that's where but that's also the time where everybody goes away and goes back to their Uh life and so there's that loss even though I think people need to understand grief takes a very long time to walk through and even though that first anniversary may have passed that second year is even more critical it is Karen and I think you're it's exactly correct and I think that first year is is the first year without the person and then the second third fourth you know all that sort of stuff that permanency is is the is the absolute realization that this is now how it is yes. and that that is never going to change and that is devastating and and so I think for if you've got somebody going through grief or if you know somebody who has lost someone even a while ago, to just be super mindful of the significant dates. So it might be the anniversary, it might be their birthday, it might be something else that, you know, um, to just acknowledge it and just, you know, I'm thinking of you or all that sort of stuff. I've got a funny story for you, not that Mm. this is funny, but my father-in-law passed away, it was 13 years ago, 
and his birthday is the 20th of June. But for some reason on the 10th of June, I got all confused. I was busy filming a project. So I texted my mother-in-law, just thinking and praying for you today on Paul's birthday. <laughs> it's like, anyway, she wrote back and and she said, oh, it's not till the 20th. And I was like, of course, I know that. <laughs> so the 20th was a couple of days ago. I was like, hi, just say. <laughs> me again. <laughs> yeah, me again. <laughs> But um, she thought she goes. Thanks for thinking of me. I said, "Well, I prayed for you anyway, twice." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. And, but even and thirteen I, years on, I, I find that I transcribe those things each year. You know, the birthdays or the moments where, say, a loved one may have gone into hospital and not come out. That's like it. It, I really try to acknowledge that in people's life because yeah. they are because you're reliving it. Absolutely. And when everyone else has moved on, there yeah. is that sense of isolation, and I think. You know, we are created in relationship for relationship. This is where we thrive. This is our purpose as human persons. Like yes. that we we need that community and it's so important to just come around people in whatever yeah. they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and just um I mean, there's something incredible that that we took from the loss of Jeff, which is um when Jeffrey died, so Jeffrey was Jeffrey went straight to Royal North Shore Hospital, which was it, it's a, probably about an hour and twenty minute drive from where we are, and um, he spent three days, two and a half days on life support, and um, the first doctor who spoke to us um, when when we got there um, told us that you know, there's 20% chance of him surviving. So we, we knew, we knew in, in that moment, but um, what, what we were able to do was um, look at the, at the aspect of organ donation. And um, we had the, or the Donate Life care team come and talk to us and, and talk to us about what, um, can, the consent that they need from family as well. And um, what Jeffrey was able to do with his organs whilst whilst he passed away um, was he his his organs, his heart and both of his kidneys were able to be donated. And he was able to save three people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so therefore three people were no longer terminal. Three people now got a second chance at life. And to me that was that in all honesty that was the only thing that we had that kind of allowed us to make meaning or make sense or something out of this because I think when you lose someone or something and you're going through grief is you try and make meaning from it you Mm -hmm. need answers you need you know meaning to cope absolutely and so if you can create um that that for you in that Mm -hmm. sense um you know, you it it just can settle some part of the pain, yeah. and so and so we've we've got that, and that's um there's actually this so this book is called Learn to Fly. Um, it's that the title actually came before the book. I knew it was okay. always going to be called Learn to Fly. So it's taken from the song Blackbird from the Beatles. Yeah. Um, but there's a little there's a little blackbird in my book, oh, and beautiful. it's not a character in the book but it is featured three times and that that is the three people that um Jeffrey saved and so like I said it's it's my it's so much my process that every single page of that is significant and um and yet it's also been a gift to other people and 
it's not even just the people that are in my circle that just wanted to support the book. And um, I do want to say one thing about kind of the overwhelming nature of what happened with the book. And that was um, I did a Kickstarter campaign to because I, because I've self-published. So I had to somehow fund it myself. And so I did a Kickstarter. And I don't know if you know much about Kickstarter, but you basically set a target and um you have like a a, um a time frame and so they recommend to do a time frame around 30 days and um so I did that and they they say that it it allows you to have momentum but it's also not too long that people kind of lose interest and so I had this massive I had a content creator um you know that I that I had come along and helped me out and we had a schedule of all different kind of ways to get people to to jump on board the kickstarter for the 30 days we had it it was it was pretty sleep anyway my kickstarter was fully funded in eight hours eight hours that's so amazing. what was I going to do with the rest of the 30 days <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible so, yeah and so it said straight away to me it wasn't just me? I've got a whole heap of people who are cheering me on it was yeah, this, just like this, <laughs> this needs to be out there yeah and so um so that that was the kind of the pre-stuff and then afterwards the amount of people that have contacted me after reading it and I had one of my friends contact me and said I bought the book for my nana because she just lost her husband and um she has written me a card to give to you so next time I see you I need to give you the card anyway the card is so beautiful and basically it says that ever since and she got the book she has read it every single day and like I don't know this person at all and and just just the impact that it's having and one of the things that I really wanted to make sure that came out of this book is that it was a beautiful thing for somebody to pick up so it's beautifully illustrated by another wonderful Catholic woman Kate Ong (laughs) and um, so her artwork is is delicious it's so amazing and um it is it is a book for adults and I think some people look at it and think that it's a children's book because it's an illustrated book but that's the point yes, when simple. I was when I was um in that those really early days and those active um grief days people want to do things and give you a lot of things so I was given a lot of tools I was given a lot of books a lot of books that I still haven't read to this day and some books that I would pick up and read the first line and be like no no not doing that um, but it was the children's books around grief that was so beautiful and just captivating and just made sense because everything is harder and everything needs to be more simple yeah. in those times. And so I was like, why don't we have this for adults? And that's really, that's, that's, that's how it's, that's how it's come So you've about. written it for yourself essentially, but it's been a huge blessing for everybody and yeah, such a gift, yeah. Corinne. So look, tell me where can people find or get a copy of this beautiful book? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a website. It's uh, learntoflybook.com and um, 
on there it has a link to all the different places that you can buy it but you can look on Amazon and things like that it's listed Amazon internationally so wherever in the world you want to um, buy the book you can get it from there. You can fantastic well I'll put a link in the show notes and really encourage people I'm a big believer in having some books because even if we might not go through this journey ourselves chances are we will encounter somebody who does and the purpose of our life is to be a gift so if we can give somebody something that's helpful I often have a few books on my shelf where I buy multiple copies that I just have so I can give to someone if I meet them and they're going through a difficult time so I'll be getting a couple of extra copies of your book but thank you so much Corinne for your time thank you for the gift of being so vulnerable with your story and and sharing that I know that you haven't done that intentionally it's just sort of unfolded the way it has but as you said so many people Um, are just so blessed and it's become such an anchor and a tool for people so thank you yeah not a problem thank you Melissa, I hope that conversation was insightful. If you are going through your own grief or you know of someone who is navigating that season of life, can I invite you to check out Corinne's website? The book is found on www.learntoflybook.com. Um, really encourage you to get a copy and just have it on your bookshelf for people who you might meet throughout your life that you can offer this book as a beautiful resource to. Ladies, next week we are starting off a new cohort of the Catholic Women's Masterclass and I'd love you to come and check it out. This masterclass has been such an incredible journey of transformation for so many women over the last couple of years. It's really about learning how to develop some rhythms of renewal, going back to the basics and building your life really intentionally so that you can flourish and grow into the fullness of who God has created you to be as a woman. If you'd like to find out more about this masterclass, you can find out more by visiting the website www.geniusproject.com and just check out the masterclass page. You can also send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. If you've liked what you've heard on the Genius Podcast, can I invite you to do me a small favor? Head on over to the platform that you're listening to this podcast on and leave a review and a rating. This only takes a couple of moments, but it really helps to support the work of the Genius Project and spread the word of the Genius Podcast. Until next week, ladies, I hope you have a beautiful week. God bless you. And I look forward to you joining me next week on the Genius Podcast.